0: Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support.
1: Because we don't talk about this, people in the church community they they don't talk about this. When's the when is the last time that that a, that a church leader or a church pastor has in front of a large group of people said, "I am currently struggling with."
0: Those are the words of Amber Fuller. A therapist and owner of counseling clinics as she describes the hell she had to go through with her family in order to find peace on the other side. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of
1: the detectives, I think his name was He was Eric. a golden boy. All we can do right now
0: is come Extreme together. Extreme
1: domestic violence, multiple rapes,
0: This is Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program, and our goal, as always, is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now, let's join the conversation with Pastor Paul. So great to have you on Life Support. This is a program where we love to tell stories because we want you to know that Jesus is with you through suffering, through trauma, through life's difficulties. And not only is he with you, he loves you and makes himself known in those situations. So I hope today will be an encouragement for you. We have a very special guest with us. Her name is Amber Fuller. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She is the owner and clinic director of Fuller Living. And Amber, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's great to have you and we're going to talk about a topic that is not necessarily a fun topic. Yeah. <laughs> but it's an important topic. Yes, it is. And sometimes uh in the church world, this is a topic that doesn't get enough attention and we're going to talk about sexual addiction. And we're going to we're going to talk about how Um, we can help those that are moving through that and some of the warning signs maybe and so forth. But, Amber, you have um, a story, and this is more than just clinical to you. This is personal. Yes, yes. So um, wherever you feel comfortable starting, why don't you tell us that story, and um, we'll get some context, and we can talk then about how um, we can help others that are struggling with this issue.
1: Sure. I think the the most fun place to start this story goes back to when I was in high school. I was born and raised in the church. I'm a pastor's kid, and having grown up in the in the church, I was able to see how pornography and sex addiction and and all of that which is in that avenue um affects people in the church. And at a really young age, I have no idea why. The Lord's calling probably. I was really interested and intrigued by the effect that it had on people and their marriages and their families. And so um, I I started that in high school and um, started researching, started gathering information decided to go to college, went to um, North Central University in downtown Minneapolis, and part of their program was that we had to do a, uh, they call it a, a senior project, and my senior project was actually on the effects of uh, sexual addiction, the disclosure of it, how it affects men, women, and their families. And I share that because, um, well, it'll make sense later on in the story. Graduated, got married, married my husband, um, and we've been married for thirteen years. Twelve, twelve. Been together for thirteen years. Just recently celebrated an anniversary. It's terrible. This is like a man thing to not remember that, but I don't remember. It's okay.
0: It's COVID. We can get away with anything during COVID. Blame <laughs> it all on COVID. That's right.
1: Yeah. Uh, so we've been married for a while and um when I was a year and a half into our marriage I actually had my he at the time he is he's now 11. So we we got pregnant pretty quick after we got married. I don't know why now that I look back on it, but we did. <laughs> we can't take it back. So Yeah. Um um uh, my my son was I think he was like four or five months old. Things weren't adding up in my marriage. Things weren't making sense. I felt this intuitive gut feeling. I think that a lot of people, both men and women, that I have met with actually as clients have identified that they also feel. You can't really explain it, but it's just this like something's not right here. And um, come to find out that my my husband had disclosed to me that he was struggling with uh, a sex addiction, and he had had an affair and all that terrible tragic stuff that happens with sex addictions. Um, and and also we were in we were we weren't in Minnesota when he had disclosed this to me. We were in Rhode Island, which is where he's from. And so it was, it was just not fun. Mm -hmm. We, I flew home and um, got my son at the time on an airplane. And although one of, one of the reasons I bring that story, that, that part of the story up is because uh, we were in the airport, me and my son and the flight attendant that had checked me in was so kind and so gracious and Uh, Even to this day, when I think about her kindness, I just, I feel tearful because the way that the Lord had walked me through that whole experience, like after, was just, he was definitely there and he was definitely present. So I have this like fantastic experience with this flight attendant whose kindness just like oozes out of her. And then I go on the airplane and I've got this front seat with my, with my baby And they, they like, reserved the whole front seat for us. I shared with her a little bit of what was going on, Mm. and so she just, she, like, booked out the whole front seat, and the the lady behind me started talking to me, and she was chatting with me, and I shared a little bit of what was going on with her, and again, just this, like, like this Holy Spirit kindness Mm. and love that that I felt, and um, got home felt like a really long time to get home from what I remember but I did get home I'm here now mm-hmm. and um my husband and I th- through everything we'll probably talk about in this conversation made it out of that but um what I had decided I was going to do a few months after that was that I was going to go to grad school and I was going to do work in this in this area. And that I really wanted to help people who were struggling with this. The reason I shared that part about the high school and the college, the undergrad part, was because without me even knowing it, the Lord had already been preparing me to be able to handle something that I never thought I would be going through. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's more than ironic it's more than coincidental it's it's definitely the lord that had his hand on that and i'm so grateful for that because what i see in my office are people who are broken and people that are devastated and people that really have to do this like this inner struggle and this inner war so for example a woman comes in and she starts saying things like am i not fill in the blank enough? Am Mm -hmm. I not pretty enough? Am I not kind? Whatever, fill in the blank. And because the Lord had allowed me the opportunity to gain knowledge and sparked that curiosity in me, I already knew that it wasn't about me. And I didn't have to go through that, which, which allowed for us, I think, to dive in and get busy with the work we needed to do. It, that was that and not have to like mess around with that insecurity right. stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You could you you understood that it was uh, it wasn't about you. It was an issue that needed to be tackled rather than a personal thing aimed at you. Although right. I'm sure that was still a part of what you struggled through. Um, how prevalent is this?
1: There are multiple different statistics. Statistics work that way. Uh, I've heard the statistic that fifty percent of people within the church community are struggling with some kind of sex addiction, and um, I, I honestly think that that statistic is a little generous. I would venture to say that there are probably more than fifty percent, but I think fifty percent is that common. Wow. Stat that's that's a bit of
0: in. a shocker for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I think it is, and I.
0: You look around church, and they're all upstanding. Like perfect people, and you measure yourself against them right oh i I wish I was like them,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: so how would you define sex addiction what What kind of behaviors are we talking about there?
1: Um, I define sex addiction as the uh, it, an inability I used to have some fancy definition for it. It's not so fancy anymore. I define it as like a an inability to control to To have self-control when it comes to participating in sexual behaviors okay um is such as excessive pornographic viewing uh, everything that mm-hmm. is on the internet. Everything that,
0: is, that you can think of maybe is yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: um, affairs and and I think it's a little bit different with the way that society looks at it, our society as a whole, it's it's really controversial. Some people are they have the belief that like why are we even why are we calling this a problem even? And within the Christian community or the church community, I I I believe that we're able to we know why it's a problem and we we know why we call it a problem, but um the the society Struggling to view it as a problem, I think, presents us with an obstacle of educating. And part of the reason that it's an addiction is because people struggle. And, and the struggle happens when people are trying to overcome whatever it is that their behavior is that they don't like. And if you're not actively trying to work on something, it's, it's not a struggle. And so because it becomes a struggle, I, I believe that that's why it can be called an addiction. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, that struggle is, is the addiction the addiction part of it.
0: Right. So you, you have um, personal experience with this, so you understand even beyond your training uh, what this is like. And so I'm going to venture a guess that because this is not talked about in church very much— that there's a lot of people that are isolated and trying to grapple with this on their own yeah which then probably creates um levels of behavior that maybe wouldn't have to be there if it was if there was a place to go and and get it out into the light would that be a fair
1: yeah. assessment yes yeah. yeah that's totally a fair assessment i think that or what i've observed too is that it because we don't talk about this, people in the church community—they—they they don't talk about this. When's the when is the last time that that a that a church leader or a church pastor has in front of a large group of people said, "I am currently struggling with a sex addiction of some kind." We just we don't hear it. We hear things like, "I struggled in the past with yes." So instead of Maybe
0: you might hear that yeah. even that's risky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For and someone I, who's preaching especially.
1: Yeah, and I understand too like yeah. having to having to weigh out having to weigh out the risks attached to disclosing something like sure. that in a large group of people. Although I, I I think that if church leaders were more forthcoming about the things that they were struggling with, we would have we would have the opposite of what we fear, so I, th- I think oftentimes people are afraid to come out with stuff like that because they're afraid that people will no longer respect them. And for me personally, and, and I know for a lot of the people that I know when when people come out with the things that they're struggling with, it it does the opposite. Like we, I, I gain respect for them and I gain a connection with them because that's what that's what the truth does it forms that um that connection and that that's what vulnerability does so i think that if the if the church community was more forthcoming about their own struggle with this as a result of that then we would have we would be eliminating the shame yeah. that shame cycle that is attached to it and I I don't know specifically. I should know, but I don't know specifically where in the 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 verse that talks about how the truth will set you free. And I've not done an exegesis on this verse. I don't know the historical facts behind it. Although I do wonder sometimes if part of what part of what the Lord wanted us to hear in that verse was it was not only does this truth me Christ set you free, but when you tell the truth, it sets you free. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I see that. I see that time and time and time again. I, I see marriages that I saw my own marriage. I, I saw it be taken from the superficial surface level place to a depth that not many people get to experience and appreciate. And that came as a result of going through this terrible thing. So, although it was this terrible, horrific thing, it was also the best thing that has ever happened to myself in my marriage and I am grateful that I have a husband who was courageous enough to come out with it and disclose it to me. There are people that there there are you there there there's this way of looking at this and it's said that there are two ways that people disclose this. It comes like a thunderstorm, or it comes as like a, a a tiny rainstorm where it trickles in. The truths trickle in. Yeah, mine was definitely a thunderstorm. Yeah, I'm grateful that it was a thunderstorm. Um, and part of the reason it was that was because he just he came out with it, and I think that if if more people came out with it, again, that shame cycle would, would be eliminated because oftentimes what will happen is that action is whatever that behavior is, whatever that sexual behavior is, happens. And then that shame cycle that follows it is I'm such a terrible person. I've done such a terrible thing. And so part of this is called what what is called the cognitive behavioral therapy model. So that thought leads to a feeling. And that feeling is shame, and then that shame leads to an action, and that action is to do it all over again. Yeah. And so if if we were forthcoming about that stuff, I believe that it would interrupt that shame cycle.
0: So why in—and by the way, shame is Satan's playground.
1: Totally, um,
0: yeah. Why—the church should be a place. Now, put pastors aside here, because that's a whole other dilemma, yeah. and we're weird anyway, but um, <laughs> why— in a community of believers where we're supposed to be all about the grace of God, and we, we ourselves have been saved from horrific things and thoughts and our own inherited sin,
1: mm-hmm.
0: why don't we talk about this? Why Why is it so secretive? Why are we afraid to enter in? Is it, is it because of how we feel we're going to be responded to? Is it all about shame?
1: I I think it is. I I. I was trained in a, in a th- with a theoretical approach, and that theoretical approach is called Adlerian. So Alfred Adler uh, was this guy that worked with Freud until Freud got a little weird, and then Adler was like, I'm splitting. But he did gain some pretty helpful and insightful information from working with Freud. And the the approach that Adler takes is that we are all... Searching for value, a sense of value, a sense of worth, and a sense of belonging. And I, I I, think that people believe that if they are going to come out with, I have this sex addiction that I'm struggling with, then at that point, their value decreases. And part of how Adler works his theory his theory in that is by saying, like, by the age of seven, we've developed an idea and a belief about where we find our value and where we find our worth. And those beliefs are all from experiences that we've had. And we call them he calls them mistaken beliefs. Mm. And the reason mm-hmm. they're mistaken is because then once those beliefs are developed, at that point, we try to strive to to be those beliefs in order to gain our value. So the, the whole problem behind all of this is that we fail to recognize that we already have inherent value. We have no more or less than the man sitting in the prison cell and the man in the White House. We are all on equal playing ground. But people believe that if they were to disclose this terrible thing, their value decreases because of those beliefs that they've formed and because of what society and the church tells them. And there's
0: a lot at stake. You know, you're a very unusual woman. You were willing to work through that with your husband. Not all women are. And and by the way, we should mention that women also struggle with uh, this too. And it's not just a man's thing, but there's so much at stake, you know, you're risking your marriage, you're, you're risking conceivably your job, certainly in the church world Mm -hmm. and maybe not unnecessarily. So, I mean, you, if you're, if you're a pastor and, and you're acting that out, then, you know, you're likely, you know, need to be doing something else for a living, but there's so much riding on this. Yeah. Um, there, there needs to be safe places created um, where people can share, and but not in secret. In other words, right. don't you have to kind of weigh the accountability factor with the safety factor because you don't want, you know what I mean? You don't want these people, hey, I'm going to share with you, Joe, yeah. and then it stays between you and Joe, yeah. and then it never gets any further and no one's healed and you're not held accountable. So that's a really tricky thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I. Um, if, if there is one topic that I am – there's really only one topic that I am more passionate about than sex addiction, and it's the topic of gossip and how it is destructive and how it destroys. And so you're right; that safety piece is crucial. Yeah, and and I think to to your point too. I my husband actually did lose his job as a result of this. So yeah, we we did see that destruction what felt like destruction at the time happen he should have lost his job because of because of his the way that he had acted because of their written policies and procedures but yeah and there are groups too that that are out there for there to be a safe place to talk about these things there's a 12 step group it's called sex it's actually called sex addicts anonymous it's similar to alcoholics anonymous And you go there, and you don't know anybody, and they they actually have it for women, too. It's called COSA. And by women, what I mean is the partner who's going Mm. through the disclosure Mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. I don't remember those women's names. I, I don't think I knew their names at the time. So that anonymity piece is there that that i think i'm saying that word right anonymous inan- that's non- correct inanimity. you did well yep
0: don't <laughs> that, go back and try it again then you'll get yourself in trouble that
1: that that's actually why it, one of the reasons why the issue is so prevalent as well is because it you, you can go on the internet and you can do whatever you want to do yeah. anonymously and so that that just shows the power of of that privacy and the importance of that privacy and I, th- I, I think that the church community sets a precedence for showing people how safe they are in disclosing these things. And I, I believe that that needs to start from the top. Like, and I, I think that if church leaders are taking information that they're hearing in the four walls of their office and then they're talking about that with other people, we might not ever find out although i do believe that it has this spiritual effect and we can sense that and and people can feel that and so i think that that like what you had said before that leaves room for the devil's playground and mm-hmm. if if a if a church leader is opening up that door it's going to affect the church maybe without them even knowing it or intending that And so I do believe that it is really important for that privacy to be there and to not leave those four walls. Yeah. And I think that that is a precedence that the church community and church leaders within the community can set within all aspects. Like if they're keeping confidential information confidential in all aspects, then I think people are going to feel safe.
0: Gossip is a terrible thing. All right. So um, I'm going to have you back next time. We've got a lot more to talk about. We just scratched the surface, it seems. Um, tell me about Fuller Living. and Do you have a website? How can we get a hold of Fuller Living, which is uh, your practice?
1: We do. The best way to get a hold of us is actually to contact me, which I love. It's the fun part of my job is I moved out of that, that therapist role into more of the clinical admin role. And our phone number is 763-647-8188. We have uh, offices, five different offices all throughout the the state of Minnesota, and we're also doing telehealth.
0: Awesome. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it, Amber.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And if you're listening right now and you're feeling like you're walking in shame, you're feeling like there's things you can't talk about, I want you to know, number one, that there are places you can go for help. You just heard of one. And I want you to know as well that the Bible is clear that when you ask for forgiveness, you are completely and absolutely forgiven. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 tells us that God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you never have to be ashamed to go before God. And I would encourage you to name your sin because you don't have to hide with God. And then he'll help you to have wisdom and direct you to the next steps to heal. So remember, God will forgive you and he loves you just like you are. This is what we do on Life Support. We try to help you and encourage you through life's difficult times. I'm so thankful for our partners, Faith Radio at MyFaithRadio.com. This is a company that does a video presentation, Five Stone Media, and you can see that at fivestonemedia.com. And then here at Ridgewood Church, we'd love to have you check us out at myrwc.org. So thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota.